Will you pray with me? Oh God, open our hearts to hear what it is that you have for each of us. Meet us here now in this place, in this time with these people. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. So the Jackson household, and in particular this Mama Jackson, had a week full of plans that have gone awry. From Tuesday afternoon to Thursday afternoon in particular, every moment seemed to be just full of surprise. I was scheduled to attend a women's clergy retreat, a two-day gathering of clergy women of all ages at a convent's retreat house out in Shillington. And the theme of this particular retreat was Unprogram Yourself, a minimally scheduled and relaxing retreat for clergy women of the Pennsylvania Southeast Conference and Pennsylvania Northeast Conference. Now, during this annual retreat, this is the first one that we've done since COVID began um, in person, but, but typically there's a speaker, um, there's a really full schedule, you're kind of going from, from the beginning of the day to the end, and there's this, a particular topic uh, that the speaker speaks to us through. But this time, we were being encouraged to unplug, unplug from busyness. Unplug from responsibilities and distractions, both good and bad, and just be, which turns out is, an, is really a big struggle for, for clergy, um, and it was just what many of us needed. So let me take you back to Tuesday afternoon. I'm in my car, I'm driving um, to said unplug retreat. It's going to be on time. It was like a miracle. And I'm a couple moments from the giant in Exeter to go get drinks and snacks so that I could share this with my, my sisters. About 20 minutes from Pottstown. So I'm heading there on my way to the retreat to get these snacks when I get a call from Zach. I answer and he tells me there's a problem. His car won't start. So he tells me that he went back, he went to Rupert Elementary, where Charlie um, goes, to pick him up at the end of the day, and his car just would not start. After doing some research, he figured out that this particular problem he was having was common in this <laughs> type of Volvo and age of Volvo. It's 2008, so it's <laughs> a little aged. And he should be able to actually fix this, fix this pretty easily. Um, open up the compartment around the steering wheel, pull it out, tighten it, untighten it, fix it, whatever this thingamajig is called. If he did that, if he did the thing that I'm still not entirely sure how it works, <clears throat> everything would be fine. And he, of course, should be able to do that. But our five-year-old is at preschool. And he's across town, so Zach could not pick him up. So he needed my help. All right. So I say, of course. I'll pick up my son. I'll come help. I'm right by the giant, so I'm still going to quick stop, pick up my snacks and my drinks because priorities. Um, and then I would go and pick up Theo. And then we would figure out the details later. 
So I do that. And then Theo and I go and meet Charles and Zach in front of Rupert. I'm doing a really great job of unplugging at this point. Zach is already hard at work trying to fix this thing, but it is to no avail. This easy fix was going to need some different tools, many of which I have no idea what they do or how they work. Um, so we drive home in my car, all four of us, two times, um, but he still couldn't get this mechanism out. So we call our super handy friend, Luke Johnson, to come to the rescue. <laughs> and of course he does, and he brings his entire work truck, which has tools after tools after tools, and they work together on this car for a couple hours <laughs> together. God bless that, Luke Johnson. Meanwhile, I sit in the car with the boys trying to keep them content, and they are super happy about that. So I eventually take them to McDonald's to get dinner and for them to get some energy out and play in the play place. I also text my friends at the retreat and tell them I'm just probably not going to be able to make it. And they said, oh, yes, you will. Let us know when we need to come get you. And I'm like, oh, no, I don't know. That seems like such an inconvenience. It's like a 40-minute 40, 40 drive. And they're like, of course, we're going to come get you. So four or five hours later, after successfully retrieving said mechanism, because you got it out, um, but still being unable to fix it, all four of us Jacksons return home with one operating vehicle feeling very defeated and frustrated. I have a long conversation with Zach. If you know me very well, you might know that I have a hard time asking for help or even accepting help. Um, and I tell him, I don't think I should go to the retreat. It's really, it's not that, it's, it's not a big deal. I can stay home, I can help. Um, I don't wanna make my friends drive all the way out here. Uh, they're gonna miss part of the retreat. They're gonna miss relaxing. Um, but none of my people would let me do that. Um, they all say, you need to go. You need to come out here. So I, I concede, and I eventually decide to go. So my friends drive the 40 minutes all the way out to Pottstown to pick me up, 40 minutes back to Shillington, and I try, finally try to settle in, feeling guilty for having inconvenienced people, but extremely grateful for these people who made it possible for me to come and unplug. The next day is great. Lots of relaxing, journaling, reading, praying, hanging out with colleagues and friends. I got a massage. I ate lots of good snacks. And I helped a small group of women put together a puzzle uh, that had a, bunch of, a picture of a bunch of dogs pooping in a field. Because this is the kind of thing that you do at a women's retreat. Yeah. I have successfully unplugged, and I've plugged into Jesus until dinner time. We're told to be careful to walk down to the cafeteria because it snowed and the road could be slippery, right? So we do. We all kind of take our time going down the hill. We hold on to the rails. I make it down. A plow was supposed to come that day, but they didn't end up coming until after dinner. So it's very snowy. It's very slippery. It's very slushy. But I make it down. 
And I get to the cafeteria and I get my food and I'm about to sit down and eat it when I see a couple of my friends walk in and carefully sit down one of our friends at the first table. She looks a little unsettled and folks around her said that she had fallen on the way down and she hit her head really, really hard. A small group of us gathered around her, got her an ice pack, and continued talking with her. And if you just took one look in her eyes, you would know that something was wrong. And then she started repeating herself. And then she didn't remember what happened or how she got to this table. And so we decided she needed to go to the hospital. We talked about going to the urgent care, and we figured, well, she's probably going to need a CAT scan. We need to take her right to the hospital. And thankfully, we were nine minutes from Reading Hospital. So I decide immediately to go. <laughs> um, and I, but I realized I didn't have my car, right? So I looked up to my nearest friend and I said, hey, can you drive us? And she says, yes. We task other folks with calling her family members. And we get her to the hospital and find out that only one visitor could stay. Since I didn't have a car, we decided that I would stay. And I ended up staying with my friend at the hospital until 10 p.m., texting my friends from the retreat, um, texting family members and texting Zach with updates along the way. Totally unplugged, right? <laughs> exactly how I thought this was going to turn out. But it turns out that what we all thought might be maybe, at worst, a minor concussion was actually a brain bleed. She had hit her head so hard that it had caused internal problems. And she was going to need to stay overnight. We had all decided we were going to go back to the retreat center and have a good time afterwards, but she was going to stay in the ICU. And it was really scary. Um, but she did get the help that she needed, the attention that she needed. Um, as a matter of fact, the trauma doctor that we met was the son of the lady who had massaged both of us earlier that day. Um, and we had colleagues who work at Reading Hospital as chaplains. My particular friend's son-in-law is actually a chaplain and was on call that night, and so he ends up coming to the hospital. So God's hand was really, really, really on all of us, but it was still fairly scary. She's home. She went home on Friday night. Praise be to God. She's doing well. When I got back to the retreat center that night, two women gave me a plate of dinner that they had brought back from the cafeteria for us so that we could have dinner when we returned. So I ate both of our meals. <laughs> um, and these friends stayed near to me after I returned to check in with my spirit, inviting me to process what had happened, what I had witnessed, and how it had impacted me. Then we went to bed. The next day, we gathered for discussion and closing worship, and then we packed up and headed home. But remember, I don't have a car, <laughs> so I have to also find a ride home. My friends who picked me up did not plan to take me home. They just planned to bring me and figure out somebody else would take me home. Um, so another friend who lives close by uh, offered to take me home, and I arrived back home at 1.30 p.m. on Thursday afternoon. Zach had fixed the part which was amazing. So came back to two working vehicles. But when I got home, I looked at Zach and said, I need a retreat from my retreat. 
unprogramming yourself. <laughs> Anybody else experience anything like this when they're trying to relax? Unplug. It was a weird and very unusual retreat experience. Yet I found myself incredibly humbled, loved, and carried through it. The amount of times that I and my family and my friend were rescued or accompanied astounds me. And in accepting my friend's desire to rescue me right from the beginning, I was able to experience God's hand and love and provision for myself and even accompany a friend when she was in need. So I share this story with you because as I've been meditating on these very familiar scriptures, some of my very favorite, I found myself reading them very differently this week. Maybe even differently than the beginning of the week when I first read them. When reading Micah 6, I often feel inspired or convicted or compelled to work for justice, to offer mercy. But this time, I heard the invitation of God to walk humbly with God much, much louder. Instead of hearing the famous Sermon on the Mount of blessings for the downtrodden and the humble, and the call to draw my attention and energy towards caring for the same very people, I found myself among that crowd. And I heard the call to receive the blessings in my time of need. This week, I read and reflected on these verses and received them from a place of vulnerability. I hadn't read it from that perspective before. I'd read it typically from a, a place that I would consider strength. As one who is, is I, I needed to feel God's nearness, to know God's comfort and provision than trying to offer it to someone else. It gave me an opportunity to remember my own humanity and not just my capabilities. Reminding me that there is no need for pride <laughs> when following close to Jesus. Because while I may appear and have the ability to be a helper sometimes, sometimes I am also the one who needs the help. I too need help and love and care and to be reminded that I am loved and that I can ask for help. Helping others gives us a sense that we have no needs, that we're, we're, we have a, a sense of self-sufficiency but we have this shared humanity that keeps us humble, reminding us that God's love and compassion and comfort is for us, for all of us, and no one is exempt from pain, no matter how strong, successful, or self-sufficient we might be or think we might be. My friend who had the, the brain bleed, um, commented several times when we were there, like, oh, this is what it's like to be on the other side. She had served as a chaplain in hospitals, had responded to people in, in crisis situations, and now she was the crisis situation. It's different. Even as the person who was accompanying her, this woman was my friend. 
And so while I was trying to be like a pastor of some sort to her, there was part of me that was, was scared. Friends, we all come to this space and time with different stories. And maybe you came today needing to hear a call out of your complacency to dedicated time and energy towards seeking justice and loving mercy, offering it wherever you can. Maybe you need to hear a call to draw near to folks who are grieving, to help those who need resources that you can actually provide, or to care for someone you know is going through a hard time. I also know that a lot of you have responded to those calls and find yourself in a place where you're worn thin and struggling to hang on right now. Maybe you are grieving a loss. Maybe you're deeply grieving the pain that you are witnessing in the world and in our community. And you might be someone who's feeling all of that. You, you might be feeling called to go help and you might be feeling like you are in great, great need of that help depending on the day or even the moment of the day. But whatever word it is that you need to hear today, may you receive it. May you know that it is for you. May you be sensitive to others who are in pain. May you know that in all of your humanity, you too are worthy of receiving the nearness of Christ to your source of deepest pain. May we recognize our own humanity as much as we recognize the humanity of others. Sometimes that is more difficult than it is to care. And may we allow God to love that very humanity within us. Let us pray.